Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz. Uh, Greg, we've got a few things to get to in here. We're, we're going to mention right off the top, uh, news came out on, on Wednesday, Austin Jackson, USC starting left tackle. He is going to undergo a procedure to donate bone marrow to his younger sister. His younger sister suffers from diamond black fan anemia. Uh, that, just to get into it, that's an inherited blood disorder. Uh, affects the ability of the bone marrow to produce red blood cells. So this is something that, you know, uh, Austin Jackson, what we know of him and, and the type of person he is certainly fitting uh, right in line with something that he would go ahead and step up and do. We want to wish all, all the best of luck to Austin and, and his sister and everyone involved uh, in that I- entire situation. Absolutely. And, you know, it puts things in perspective, you know, family comes first and, uh, you know, we're all wishing that Austin will have a great season, but you know what? What's more important is Austin helps out his sister, and I think that's a very uh, noble thing. I don't think it's something you even have to think about. You do it, and hopefully uh, she'll be ready to go and be able to watch him play football in the fall. Absolutely. Positive thoughts to, to everybody involved there. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're getting <laughs> get in to a few things. I mean, it, you know, it's USC, so – We've got to talk about this kind of stuff that's going on. It just feels like the last, I, I mean, honestly, it feels like 10 years of, of just issue after issue. And so new president, Carol Fult, she, her first day was July 1st. Greg, I'm going to just open end this thing for you. <laughs> if you can get in her ear right now, give, give me kind of, I, I don't know how you want to do it, a, a, a checklist or just kind of some big, topic things or whatever what are some things that you would suggest i know you've got ideas uh what what do we need to do what what does she need to do what are kind of some first steps in terms of uh priority as you see it because really it's just it's all over the place the the things she could do the things she's going to be responsible for handling well you're really testing my masters in athletic administration so (laughs) I guess it finally does have something to uh, implement what I've learned and all that. But no, seriously, yes. you know, she, she knows what she's walking into. She's, she's been probably boning up on a lot of stuff. A lot of the stuff that's come out, she might already be aware of, to be, be quite honest with you. I mean, certainly from the academic side, she knows uh, the lay of the land. And I think athletically, she's probably got a good idea. She's probably trying to figure out who the main players are, probably more than anything, who she can trust to listen to at the university at this point. I know for Trojan fans, uh, most of us want to know, what are you going to do with the athletic department? Uh, You know, I I don't mean to drop the nuclear bomb on it, but, you know, the idea is, uh, you know, two straight weeks of pretty negative uh, information coming out of the John McKay Center and Heritage Hall. I would assume that she's going to have meetings. I assume she's already had uh, uh, some meetings with Lynn Swan. But at some point, she's going to take a step back and say, what kind of timeline am I on for the athletic department? And I say that by saying we don't know what's going to happen uh, with Clay Helton. We really don't. But we do know in the first six weeks, uh, you know, he's going to have to, you know, really step it up with his team. Uh, If things don't go well, uh, you know, there's that real possibility that SC would pull the trigger and uh, dismiss Helton. But before you dismiss Helton, do you want an athletic director uh, like Lynn Swan to be make a decision 
and he's uh, you know he I would have to say must be on the uh, short plank of a of a Pirates of the Caribbean boat. <laughs> uh, you, you definitely wouldn't want Swan to make a decision if he's not going to be there. So I think her first priority is going to figure out what to do with the athletic administration because she wants to have that in place before she pulls the trigger uh, on any type of coaching move. But I think because of the timing, you know, we got practice coming up here in about three and a half weeks. But, you know, she's got a little leeway. But it's going to be a fact-finding. I know this for a fact that a number of the very most high-level boosters are trying to get a meeting with her to kind of give the come-to-Jesus talk, okay? And if that does transpire and she's willing to listen to these people and trust their viewpoint, she'll match it up with everybody else. I would have to think that she's also talked with uh, her former athletic director, Bubba Cunningham at North Carolina, to get his take on it. And I think the uh, whole situation, I think, could come to a head sooner rather than later uh, with the athletic department because of the scandal that was going on, one, with the, with the uh, pay for getting into USC uh, situation and who's accountable for that. And I can tell you this, uh, I have learned from people that are close to the situation that the FBI is really into it. And, uh, you know, you, the old saying, follow the money. So whoever knew about that money uh, is probably going to be looked at quite severely. And, of course, the uh, number two in command, I think, is it Heinle, Carol Heinle? Uh, she, I understand, is uh, cooperating with the FBI. That's what I've been told. And uh, you know what? There's a, you know, once you start talking, you're trying to save your own hide. Uh, and, again, you know, she's number two. Swan's number one. Uh, Lopes is number three. I know that he's in charge of the money, uh, so I'm told. So we don't know where this is going to all end up, but it could it could end up uh, happening, I think, sooner rather than later, which would mean who would be the interim athletic director if there's this massive overhaul? Uh, we don't know. I'm not predicting it's going to happen. I'm just saying from an outsider's point of view and some of the things I picked up along the way, uh, it's it's important to know. So if, if there is a change in athletic director, you want an interim athletic director deciding who the next football coach is. Of course, you could go the other way and say, well, form a search committee, and they make a recommendation, and then, uh, you know, uh, Carol Folk will decide that she approves it. But it's going to be fascinating. Uh, it may not be a pleasant ride because I think we're all kind of sick of it. I know I am. I know you are. Uh, a lot of people in the media are sick of it. Uh, I don't. I can't even stand to hear my phone call, my phone ring anymore because I go, okay, now what? <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot going down. But I, this I can say, I'll say it in summation because I've been talking a lot. Uh, I think she knows exactly what where she's going on this, and it's just a matter of uh, connecting dots and people that she can rely on that's going to give her the right answers. Uh, uh, you know, to to make any type of move she's going to make. I think that just in terms of purely athletics, I think she knows what a successful athletic director looks like. And I think that from the last 10 years, we have a good idea that it doesn't look like a former player with no experience as an athletic director. And for me, I feel like she comes into this position knowing that that's the case. And so I have, if she does eventually decide I need to make a decision on an athletic director. 
I have, I have every confidence in the world that she is going to pick somebody that makes a lot of sense for that spot. Okay. What I think is interesting and, and where the admissions scandal sort of comes into play here is that it, without the admissions scandal, I, I think you could probably make the case that you know, may, maybe she feels like she doesn't need to touch athletics for a while because she's coming in. I mean, you, you have some big-time issues other places. I mean, the, you know, the, the medical school, the, the gynecologist uh, lawsuit, all of those things, just individually, you have so many things that would be sort of this, you know, A1, five-star, you know, five-alarm fire for a new president to have to put out. But the admission scandal sort of bumps athletics up a little bit because you do have so many people involved in that and and a president who really needs to figure out what is the hierarchy here, who was involved, how much blame should go to people who are still here and that sort of thing. So so I think that bumps athletics up quite a bit. And obviously people listening to this care so much about USC football that a five and seven record to a lot of people should put that, you know, toward, toward the top of the list for a new president. But I, I, I don't see for a university like this and what USC has sort of become lately in terms of academics and world standing and all of that, I don't see a five and seven record being something where she comes in and says, okay, first thing I've got to deal with the fact that we have a five and seven football team, but because there's so much other stuff going on, I, I do think it bumps that up a little bit. And I think ultimately that's a good thing for the future of, of USC football. I think somebody, an outsider coming in who, it, you know, North Carolina is not Texas. It's not Alabama. It's not any of those things, but she has shown a kind of passion for athletics overall and football. And she's shown that she wants to have, a good football product. And so I, like I said, I think I've said a couple of times, I have a lot of faith that she's going to make the right decision. And I ultimately don't think it's going to be up to Lynn Swan to make any kind of call on, on Clay Helton. I, I, I would be, I'd be very surprised if it was purely Lynn Swan's decision after, you know, four, six, eight games, whatever it is. If again, if, a decision needs to be made. If USC gets off, they're five and one, they're six and oh, they're, you know, doing well. I think that sort of eases a lot of things because a decision on an athletic director or on a head coach halfway through this year is going to be just extremely difficult. You're talking about, you know, what it could do to the recruiting class, what it could do to you know, the, the classes you've signed, how easy it is now for players to just jump in that portal kind of whenever they want and, and head out. Um, I, I think in-season coaching changes are going to hurt a lot more with this early signing period and with the transfer portal. So that's something, you, you know, you, you'd have to take into account. But I just I see that plate for her being so full. And, and I do think she comes in with a plan. I don't I would be surprised if she was blindsided by any of you know this stuff that that's going on right now i think she had had an idea a good idea of what was facing her when she took this over and she's shown that she can deal with a lot of different things um a lot of sort of 
scandal and issues, and she's handled a lot of things like that. You know, let, let me uh, add uh, to this. You know, when we think of USC, we, we think, of course, of football. And remember that she was getting her college degree from UC Santa Barbara in the, in the early 70s, uh, which meant that she was in the L.A. area enough to know who USC football was under John McKay. So it's possible she could have even gone to a game or two uh, since, you know, UC Santa Barbara does, didn't have a real football uh, tradition, shall we say. So I think she kind of gets it. Now, a couple other issues on that. Remember, she's coming from North Carolina. And in North Carolina, while the football is good, we know it's a religion in basketball. So she knows what it's like to be working with Roy Williams. Okay, She obviously knew Dean Smith at some point. Sure. while he was alive and uh you know she's gonna know what zealous alumni look and how the passion you know I've been in the Dean Dome uh, myself and it's a tremendous arena and you know they have a such a tremendous tradition that she knows she wants to keep it that way and she had an athletic director like we said Bubba Cunningham who pulled all the right strings plus she did give the final to say to bring back Mac Brown you know, one of the things that is happening, I know, uh, since Monday, is she is being sent a large amount of emails uh, of people, some of the high-level variety, uh, giving their opinion on the current athletic administration at SC. And let's not mix words, it's about Lynn Swan. Uh, I think uh, Lynn Swan's issues uh, go far beyond a five and seven uh, Clay Helton football team. We're talking about all sorts of things. I think even if the football team was doing well, uh, you still have these scandals that are going on. Yes. Okay, the, the, I mean, that, the, the, this is a separate issue away from football. Uh, in reality, it almost dwarfs football at some level, partly because we're not in season yet. But she's, she's definitely going to have to uh, – you know, address these emails and who they're from and kind of, uh, you know, now they're not going to all be coming from, uh, you know, Joe fan that, uh, you know, it's just venting. Some of the, some of the people that are, they're emailing her are people that I think most would respect. So, uh, you know, she knows that football season's right around the corner. And she also knows that if SC is good in football, it's one of the few things that can turn around an attitude of a school that right now is kind of swimming in controversy. And you hope that the people getting in her ear are the people who have sort of USC, either the entire school or the athletic department, but, but sort of the idea of USC first, rather than people who, you know, how can I save my job? How can I, you know, angle it so that more things are coming my way. And, and I think there's been so much of that at USC. You just hope that that's not so ingrained in a lot of the leadership that that can carry over with a new president. I, I think that would be, that would be tough to, to continue hearing stories um, about that, just sort of that whole self-serving um, uh, ideals. Absolutely. One of the things she's going to have to deal with now uh, this came up recently, a lawsuit filed by a former USC football assistant, uh, a quality control analyst, Rick Courtright. Um, and in it, there are some NCAA violations alleged, uh, some safety violations alleged. 
Uh, the, the big thing for me, and I know for you too, is that USC is named and Clancy Pendergast is named. And Clancy Pendergast's name comes up a lot. And for me, it's one of those things where just right off the bat, I mean, if you're a, a recruit, a player, a coach, whatever, in college sports, if there's an allegation with your name in it and money going somewhere that it shouldn't go, that's not a place that you want to be in. You, you could have, you know, all sort of the, the defense that you need and, and, you know, witnesses and all that, but it's just not a place that you want to be in because there's such a sort of heightened state of awareness with that now uh, that it becomes, it, it becomes a tricky spot to be in. And so there's, he is alleging that Clancy Pendergast, uh, sort of uh, arranged or was certainly involved in having students take tests for take online tests for a couple of uh, grad assistants at USC one of those is still at USC one of them Austin Clark he he's now at Illinois and, and there's a few other things that um, uh, again the safety violations specifically being two players Jordan Yosefa and Jalen Green, we assume this is what the incident was, before a Washington State game, warming up and collided. Both of them went into concussion protocol. And, and certainly at the time, just seeing that, hearing that, it was like, what, what is going on there? I mean, that, that is not something that typically should happen uh, before a game. So these are things where, again, he... Uh, is alleging that because he brought these issues to USC compliance, he was then retaliated against um, by people at USC. Eventually, again, he alleges that Clay Helton sat down with him. He said, you can resign or be fired. Uh, and so that is why he is going after USC to the tune of about $2 million uh, with this lawsuit. So again, Carol Fult, welcome to USC. Uh, this is something that comes down on the day uh, that she that she begins her duties as president. Uh, Greg, your your thoughts about about the court right lawsuit? Well, you know, you always have to try to ask yourself: Is this a disgruntled employee who was fired? Sure, trying to get back. Okay, I think we all, at some point, probably in our lives, have been put in some sort of position where, you know, revenge comes to your mind. But first of all, <laughs> excuse me, you know, I've dealt with Clancy like you have for a number of years now. And, you know, he, he, he doesn't, you don't sit there and say, Clancy's the type of guy that would take money, give it as a, you know, uh, uh, to do uh, what they basically is academic fraud. That, that I find that hard to believe. Now, that being said, I think we've seen enough stories over the athletic years uh, in college that anything is possible. You know, I think when you talk about, uh, you know, the two players in warmups that get hurt and there was no supervision, I think in a lawsuit, you throw as many things as you can figure out. Absolutely. Throw it against the wall and see which ones stick. Now, that being said, one of the big keys to me was, is there a paper trail from the time that he went to the administration, I assume that there must be, because his lawyers are talking about it in the lawsuit, where he documents this stuff. It's all documentation. Now, you can 
you can sit there and say, no, I didn't do it. It's all hearsay. You know, I mean, court, court right says he saw them exchange the money. Okay. But that's just hearsay. We don't know whether it's true or it's not true. You know, what we do know are certain facts that, you know, maybe he was told you either resign or we fire you. Uh, you know, some of that stuff will be documented. I think the bigger question is, again, it goes back to institutional control of the athletic department. Now, Len Swan cannot know where everything is happening every single moment. But when you add all these things up, uh, it doesn't paint a very pretty picture. And it just is another uh, kick to the groin, so to speak, that uh, you're always in the national spotlight. We're, the thing to remember is this lawsuit, like many others, could take years to, uh, to you know, by the time they may get to the lawsuit actually in court, you, you may have a complete changeover and head football coach, head everything, head new athletic director. It'll be like, you know, <laughs> time has gone by. Oh, yeah, I remember that lawsuit. But for the moment, you know, uh, obviously – there was a comment by the SC administration that we're aware of it and we're looking into it. So, you know, this didn't come overnight. They knew this was coming a while ago. So it's going to be something that's going to have to be sorted out and not a good thing for the football program uh, because it's calling, it's, you know, it's calling attention to the defensive coordinator. What happens if something really, they find something out that, now they got to have an interim defensive coordinator. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But it, it opens up some real uh, maybe remote possibilities, but possibilities nonetheless. And, and that's what I was mentioning as sort of the, the scary thing whenever your name uh, is, is brought up with, you know, illegal handling of money, you know, sending it somewhere where it shouldn't be. It becomes really easy for schools now, especially – one like USC recently that has been very defensive about uh, any sort of allegation that they sort of are, you know, okay, pull everything away from that. And then we'll try to figure things out. It, it's something where it could be really easy for them to just say, you, you know, you need to take a step away um, at, while we figure this out. And that would be a, a huge blow for, for the football program, for the defense, all of that. And, and the the thing that's the worst about this, I think, is that you really did have this um, you you really did have this idea that things were gonna be good. Things had turned around. That that spring was really good, um, and, and then the summer, you know, all the conditioning program and that kind of stuff, like it it was going well, uh, and then all of a sudden this you know like you just you just didn't need this when it seemed like you had kind of turned a corner and things were going things were going in a positive direction you got sort of new blood um with graham harrell coming in talking about you know we're simplifying defense spring went well and then this lawsuit and, and i think it is one of those things if this popped up at north dakota state at you know some some northwestern at some school like that and it was just a one-off thing i don't think it gets a ton of attention um 
but the way this works where it's another thing at USC, it's, it's going to get attention. And I think, you know, it, it, like you said, people might be gone when it finally comes, but it's just another thing where you're going to see that in the, in the list of things when, you know, media talks about USC or, or you read things about them. It's, it's going to go in the list and it's going to be another thing. And eventually there's going to be enough things where you're going to have to make some significant changes, no matter what is going on on the field. Well, perception is reality. I mean, you can only take so many innuendos, so many truths. Uh, you know, it, it, what, what makes this a little striking to me is, um, look, SC went through horrendous draconian sanctions. You know, Clancy would know that. Okay. Would he really, would he really do this uh, for a couple of grad assistants, really? And then you look at it from the point of Clay Helton. Clay, you're in charge of your assistant coaches. Did you know this was happening? Why didn't you know if it's true? Hey, I think Clay Helton's a decent guy. I, you know what? I don't think he would hire somebody that would do something like that. But we don't know. You know, it's all we don't know. But we'll know at some point in time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, we're going to move away from that stuff. We're actually going to get into a little bit of football right now. Um, the opening was held this week, and uh, a USC commit, of a few uh, USC targets were out there. Um, Greg, going to ask you for, for kind of your thoughts on, on what you saw and read and heard. Um, but I, I'm going to throw out – I. Bryce Young just he's he's one of those guys where at events like that seven on sevens where it's sort of and there's kind of a mental aspect to it and he just can sit back and pick apart a defense he is just phenomenal and I think his fit with this offense at USC is is perfect um would it be great if he was two inches taller of course uh but I don't think that's something that is really going to handicap him and I I honestly can't wait to see him at USC. There's a lot of talk about, you know, Alabama making a push and other schools. And I don't get the sense from Bryce at all uh, that he is looking around. Even if there's a coaching change, any of that sort of stuff, this seems like the kind of guy who understands if you want to be the USC quarterback, you can't go to Alabama. You can't be the USC quarterback at another school. And he wants to be the USC quarterback. One of the, so somebody else to mention, defensive end Corey Foreman from Corona Centennial went out as a 2021 prospect uh, in this class going up against 2020s, and he walks away with the defensive line MVP award. And not all that, A, surprising because we know how good he is, but not all that close either. I mean, this is a, a defensive line group out there with Brian Breesey, you know, the the maybe the number one overall prospect going to Clemson. Corey Foreman, I think, is that guy in 2021. And just the way Justin Flo is the linebacker from Upland, your number one defensive target uh, in the 2020 class, Corey Foreman is going to be that guy in 2021. And I think it's really nice uh, that Drake Jackson, his former teammate, is at USC early making an impact. And I think the way Drake Jackson goes this fall, again, Corey Foreman is not going to come to USC because Drake Jackson does well, but it's another, it's sort of a, another chip, you know, that USC can play. 
when they're recruiting Corey Foreman. A couple other guys I think that stood out that, that are certainly worth noting for USC fans. Uh, Darian Green Warren goes out there, does well. He's done well at, at a few events that we've seen. Um, and and I, I think he's one of the top cornerback uh, targets for USC. Was an Oklahoma commit. Um, backed away from that. I think USC probably has a, a pretty good chance with him. Wide receiver Gary Bryant is going to be on the list, you know, on, on USC's target list for a long time. Uh, he's potentially the, the best wide receiver in California, certainly one of them. And then Miles Morrow, the offensive lineman from modern day. Again, he goes out, dominates. He's, he's an offensive lineman. The offensive line commits that they have gotten recently are nice sized projects and, and athletes. And I think that, they're going to get something out of them. If you're USC, you have to lock up the local linemen studs when they're here. And Morale is, is that guy. And, and so I think he's kind of the must get on the offensive line in this class. And then another name, Elias Ricks. Uh, you you got to get him. I mean, he's committed to LSU at this point. Uh, you You need – Corners, you just got a bunch of defensive backs, but none of them are Elias Ricks. Um, obviously, Chris Steele coming in late, he gives you a, a really nice defensive back. Elias Ricks is one of those elite guys. Um, he could run, he can cover, he can kind of do everything. And, and, and I think that this event shows you, if you're USC, he's the kind of kid that you really have to get. And he's the kind of kid that, that USC in its history has got. Well, you know what? I'm I'm not worried about the recruiting per se, uh, because everybody you mentioned has some connection to SC in some way. You know, Bryce uh, Young is already committed. He's going to be a national name for the next four or five months. He's he's in constant contact with all the players that he knows SC wants to get, uh, kind of like what JT Daniels was doing. Uh, I think that Young. Uh, I'm not overly worried about his size. I'm concerned, but not overly worried about it. Because I look at a guy like Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Kyle Murray. You know, uh, this this guy was not a, a, a gigantic specimen. And, uh, you know, I agree with you totally that it'll be fun to watch when he finally gets to SC. You know, they SC has got now a real pipeline going with Corona Centennial. And I think that in the case of, uh, you know, Corey Foreman, uh, you know what? I, I played a place a great deal of emphasis on having a lot of players from your former high school somewhere. And whether Helton is the coach, I got to think that if he's not, they're going to bring in somebody really good, a really a name, somebody that's going to spark a lot of interest, regenerate maybe some of the recruiting thoughts or negativity of it. Uh, you know, the lineman for modern day morale, I, I think that he's going to follow. I think he's going to come to SC. Um, because I think that there's a real bond of modern-day players for the most part. Then there's the uh, question of Elias Ricks. You know, I know he's committed to LSU, but you know what? Uh, I just go back to the idea of, of Chris Steele. You never know in this day and age when what's said in, in July or June or whatever is going to be there uh, when spring ball rolls around next year. I would say if SC does really well uh, and everybody's happy, uh, it wouldn't shock me if Elias Ricks 
gave a little bit more attention to USC. And, uh, you know, it's my contention that, you know, most players in Southern California, and I don't think I'm stretching this as a homer, uh, want to go play for a story program like USC. Uh, we're in a situation where they've got to, they've got to be uh, feel confident that USC is going to be the USC that, that's in their heart. Uh, all this controversy, both on the field or off the field, has got to stop once it does and, and, and recruits feel comfortable with the direction of the program. I think any, any recruit that is, has not signed on the dotted line is, is fair game. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of an interesting take right now. I think that, I, I mean, fully agree. I think a lot of these elite local kids, they, they want to go to USC. I think, you know, Brew McCoy committing to USC that's what they want to do. Chris Steele at one point, you know, during the recruiting process was committed to USC. The elite Southern California guys, they go to USC. When there's so many issues and you start hearing from so many people, either in your sort of outer circle or in your inner circle, you know, look at what's going on here. Look at what's going on here. You have so many kind of negatives and just things chipping at a lot of these recruits it becomes really easy to go to Clemson, take a visit to Clemson, take a visit to Alabama, take a visit to LSU and fall in love with that because you don't live in that area and you're not hearing the negatives when there are negatives. Again, if you're Clemson and you're rolling right now, it's easy to kind of go get everybody. But when you live in Southern California and USC is always in the news for the things that they've been in the news for recently, it's really easy to get kind of a sour taste about that school that you're hearing about all the time. And so I think that has turned away so many of the, the local elite guys, but if things change, they're right back in. I don't think that it's, you know, too late for this 2020 class. Uh, if things go well this fall, especially because you do have a little bit of that momentum with McCoy, with Steele, uh, it, again, you're looking at, at true freshmen if Drake Jackson has the year that a lot of people think that he could have. Uh, that's something that's, that's easy to build on and, and easy to sort of round out uh, that 2020 class with a lot of the elite guys. And, and so I think Elias Ricks right now in terms of local prospects committed to other schools, maybe at the top of the list uh, for USC in terms of guys that they would really like to flip or, or, or would make it a gigantic statement flipping and staying with recruiting. And I know someone that you, that you wanted to hit on a little bit. We saw a recent commitment from offensive lineman, Jake Drake Metcalf from St. John Bosco. And this guy for a long time looked like he would just slide right into the USC recruiting class. Stanford offers uh, not only does he commit to Stanford also announces that he's been admitted to the school, which obviously is, is, you know, one of the, the, the major hurdle uh, with with recruiting at this point, you can commit to Stanford all you want, but if you, if you don't get through admissions, you're not going there. So the fact that he's been uh, admitted and also now has committed, uh, that uh, for me, watching him play the way he sort of carries himself, his attitude uh, as an offensive lineman, that's something that USC and specifically the offensive line, but really the offense as a whole, that's something they really could have used. Uh, I, I think that's a loss. I know that 
the young centers that USC has, they're going to be fine. But he's a guy that, you know, he could play guard. He could fill in at center if you needed him. Just having him sort of in the, in the weight room, in the locker room, on the, on the sideline as a young player, uh, I think would have been a benefit. But it just it shows you what Stanford can do with offensive line recruiting. They also got a commitment from Connor McLaughlin from Florida, who was a guy that USC targeted, offered, looked like maybe they'd be in the picture for him. He ends up committing to Stanford. And now when you look at the Stanford offensive line, those two plus Miles Hinton, a big-time five-star offensive lineman, that's the offensive line that you want. Again, like we mentioned, the guys that USC got from the camp, I, I think I'm, I, I am high on those guys because Tim Drevno was able to sort of coach them, and, and these are guys that he kind of has handpicked. But that can't be your entire offensive line class. Again, like I just said, you've got to be able to get the local elite guys and and have that be sort of the the heart, the backbone, the the meat of your class. And when you see these guys go to Stanford, Stanford just they they, they can go get offensive linemen, and that's something that USC hasn't been able to do in recent years. And I think this was just kind of another reminder like like the lawsuit is another reminder of what's going on at USC this is another reminder of what Stanford can do on the recruiting trail right now specifically with offensive linemen that USC just just isn't able to do at this time well I think the thing that really gets to me about this one was here's a kid who grew up in an SC family here's a kid whose mother went to USC yep kid who by his own admission and in public has said his grandmother is such a USC fan that her, that her house is almost like uh, the, the second uh, Heritage Hall. And they've had season tickets for USC for years uh, next to the, uh, the uh, famous Coliseum Tunnel. And I'm going, you know, there's something that's not going right here. And the only thing I will say is Stanford is one of the few schools that can can hurt USC when it comes to recruiting. And I'll get, to me, Stanford is to USC what kryptonite is to Superman. Because if a kid gets admitted to Stanford, especially offensive linemen, they're, they're you know, they, well, let's, let's not forget uh, the two linemen that SC lost uh, not that long ago in Murphy and Pete. Okay, now, you know, Kyle Murphy was uh, from San Clemente. You know, San Clemente is a USC stronghold area. Uh, but what was the reason for that? Well, they well, they have five offensive line coaches in five years. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, it's funny because I was watching the 1979 USC LSU game from uh, Baton Rouge, and it was really a lot of fun. But it reminded me that when I look at SC's offensive line, and they had Roy Foster and Brad Buddy at the guards, Chris Foote at center, uh, Don Mosbar at one tackle and Keith Van Horn at the other. It reminded me that that was the lineman that would that was expected to come to USC. Those linemen, and those linemen recruited other linemen. It's been a while since any kid growing up can sit there and say, "I can tell you who the USC offensive linemen are." I think the last really great one was probably um, uh, Matt Khalil. Okay. Uh, but you're talking about one player as a lineman. Uh, I'm talking about, uh, I mean, Chad Wheeler, you know, all the credit in the world, they developed him 
uh, which is a which is a great thing because uh, he was a project out of Santa Monica. But kids growing up, they're junior high kids. Who do they start thinking about if they're offensive linemen? They start looking at the schools that you know in their eyes are producing all Americans in our area, in our on the West Coast. It's Stanford if you can get in. What SC has to try to do, and it, it, it's going to take some you know some really good hirings. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, Tim Drevno isn't uh, the man, but uh, they're going to have to start bringing in some four and five star guys. I'm sorry, you know you can develop three stars and they can work out here, you know, but you know, some of these guys like going back to uh, the kid from modern day. I mean, those are the kind of guys that you need because they're going to help bring in others. You can't bring in one a year like that. You got to bring in two, three. And until they do that, you know, who knows what they, what kind of offenses they can really have. Uh, You know, we're in a stage right now, offensive line wise, is that uh, take a look at Metcalf. Where is he going? He's going to a school that features a power running game, right? A real balanced attack. What is SC turning to? Okay, some form of the air raid. You know, where, where's the emphasis here? Okay, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you don't have to be a great blocker. You just kind of hold up a guy for a couple of seconds and let the quarterback throw it. Okay, maybe that's not what Metcalf was saying. Maybe he was saying, you know what? I want to play where it's a balanced offense, kind of like the NFL. That's not to say that the offense we're going to see in the fall under uh, Graham Harrell isn't going to be a good one. But right now, the per- there is perceptions. I think you probably agree with that. Oh, the, the perception is clear. I, I mean, I, you know, you know that other Pac-12 programs, national programs, have just been hammering USC in terms of negative recruiting for offensive linemen. I mean, it, like you said, you have to go back a ways before you can find a time when USC was just churning out, you know, NFL offensive linemen year after year talking elite guys. And I think the offensive line for me is, is by far the most sort of fascinating position going into this because you do hear constantly, you know, the offensive line in this offense doesn't have to do anything. As long as you can just sort of stand up and not let the guy run through you, you're going to be fine. But I, you know, I, I think it needs, I think it needs more than that. And I, and I do think USC is going to get more than that, but until it happens, you are saddled with the fact that last year, the offensive line was, was subpar and, and maybe one of the worst you know, offensive line units in the conference. And it, and again, you can't point to a lot of guys recently that these recruits have seen go to USC as dominant offensive linemen and, and leave USC as dominant offensive linemen. So that's a fight that you're really going to have to, to deal with until you can produce it. Now, I will say on the flip side of that is that Washington State's air raid is far more air raid than Graham Harrell's, they just sent a, a first-round offensive tackle to the NFL. And so you obviously can put somebody together, get an offensive lineman who shows that well uh, in terms of, of, you know, NFL scouts and, and GM's eyes. But you have to do it. And, and that's kind of the thing for me is that it's so easy – you know, covering USC and watching it, it's so easy to just fall into that idea of 
it, USC doesn't produce those kinds of offensive linemen and they don't ask their offensive linemen to become that, you know, what we have come to think of as the Stanford offensive linemen. Uh, and, and this is something where even Stanford last year, their run, their run game was abysmal last year. They turned almost completely to the pass, but because they have that track record, the idea of Stanford having those offensive linemen still exists. And that's what USC has to do. They have to get on a run because even just one year of kind of solid offensive line play, that's not going to be enough to fully turn the page on what we've seen recently. I think they're going to have to figure this out for, you know, a couple years to be able to go out and recruit the offensive line the way you really need to recruit the offensive line at a school like USC. You know, I think, you know, it's been so long since we've seen dominant offensive line by USC. We forget that during, actually during the Pete Carroll years, the glory years, uh, the, you know, the mid-2000s when they were really cranking out Sam Bakers and Deuce Latouis and, you know, uh, the Ryan Khalils. I mean, the whole thing was just, you know, snowballing. Plus, they had at that time a you know offensive line coach in uh, Tim Davis, who is almost legendary for his short term at SC. So it's 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 all there to happen again. But like you said, it's not going to happen the year. They're going to have to have a series of two years, uh, maybe three, where people really see the growth in it and players of the four and five star thing. Uh, I, I will say this because I was in a discussion with somebody today. Uh, and, and this is not a reflection on, on the current coaching staff, but in reality, you don't think if a guy like Urban Meyer came to, came to USC that they wouldn't start getting physical offensive linemen from Southern California. I think that that would probably happen overnight uh, quicker than you think, or a Bob Stoops. But right now they're going to have to earn it because they can't do it with coaching perception per se not a reflection on the coaching staff, but when you have such superstar status of a Meyer or even a Stoops who might be a, a, a one, uh, you know, one uh, level below a Meyer, uh, you know, you're just going to have to know that it can happen. And if you get the right people in the right places, it will happen. Yeah. I think that this recruiting class is kind of a, as fascinating as I can remember in terms of, uh, at this point in the year, uh, again, there's, there's a ton of time until signing day, but usually, you know, at this point in the summer, you have a, a fairly good idea, you know, of, of a guess at what the recruiting class could end up looking like. I mean, th this year you have sort of a, a best case and a worst case, and they are worlds apart, I mean, depending on how things go. I, I think you could end up with just an unbelievable class or a class that, you know, potentially has kind of fewer top end guys in it than you had last year. And last year was already a class where you really need a, a bulk of these kind of, you know, three-star and, and lower ranked guys to pan out for you uh, in the 2019 class that just came in. So I, I, as far as recruiting is going, I think this staff is doing a good job uh, with the the cards they were dealt, uh, especially a lot of these new guys who have come in. Uh, Harold and, and Mike Jinks, the running backs coach, um, 
the, those two, especially kind of going into, into Texas and getting some offensive guys interested. Um, and then uh, the, the new defensive coaches, again, doing, doing a great job and doing as well as they could do. I, I think if anyone is sort of ready for the season to go, it's the coaches. I, I think they feel like they have a lot to prove because, again, you're getting recruited against based off what happened last year. And a lot of these coaches kind of weren't here. And certainly Clay Helton believes that he's a different coach and that this is going to be a different product we're going to see. So I think a lot of these guys are just ready to go. And I'm going to throw you and me into that too. And the calendar (laughs) flipping to July is always nice because you know, there's only one more page that has to go over until we get into August and we start getting into football. And so that's sort of the, uh, the signal. You know, once we get into July, things are getting closer and we're finally going to start seeing some football. And I know you're excited about that. And now these next few weeks are probably going to feel like they're going to take forever. Well, you know, I see uh, July as kind of spring training before the season, actual training camp. Yep. And I'm excited about it. I think uh, right now there's a lot of questions. And the, the beauty of it to me is we're going to start getting a lot of answers. And Absolutely. they're going to come fast and furious once Fresno State starts. Uh, and, you know, everything we've talked about, both on the field and off the field, we're going to get answers. And, that, and that's going to be a good thing one way or the other. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Greg, for, for joining me. And a happy fourth to everybody out there. Uh, For Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney. You've been listening to the We Are SC podcast.